Welcome to another edition of Politics and Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host today. We are honored to have the next Lieutenant Governor of Texas, who is Mike Collier, Democrat. Mike, welcome to Politics and Right. How are you doing today? I'm fine. How are you, my friend? Always I good am, to see you, Egberto. It's always great to see you. Let me tell you, Mike, first of all, I'm excited for this race. I'm excited for the entire slate. And more than ever, I think the pundits with regards to how the party will do, have it all wrong, because I don't think they know that we have people like you running. So first of all, tell us a little bit about who Mike Collier is. Well, that's uh, first of all, that's very kind of you, uh, Egberto. Uh, you might recall for your listeners, I want everybody to know this. I woke up one day so angry at Texas Republicans. I knew nobody in politics. And I Googled Kingwood Democrats and found one Egberto Willis and said, <laughs> Egberto, my name is Mike Collier and I want to come to one of your meetings. I want to meet some Democrats. I am so unhappy with Texas politics. And you have been so welcoming and warm and friendly from the very beginning. It, my political journey starts with you, my friend, and I'm always so glad to see you. Well, let me just say one thing, uh, Senor Collier. Uh, you have, I mean, it, it, it all emanates from you. Because you're a special guy, and I think I've told you that a million times, and that is you are the one guy, I think, who can really start this new revolution on the top of the ticket in Texas. You have the right pedigree. You have what's necessary to do it. So, again, tell us about who you are, because um, yeah, so, well, Texas needs to know who you are. Yeah, well, thank you, Egberto. So, um, uh, yeah, so I, I'm coming out of the business world to do this. I'm a certified public accountant uh, in my professional life. I, I joke as an auditor, I get lied to for a living. Uh, my job is to keep big, powerful, wealthy people honest. And uh, that's what I do for a living. Uh, I think it'd be very useful in uh, Texas. And my clients are in the energy industry and I'm right where, right in the transition mode. I, you know, I get hired because clients call me and say, Mike, help me with a project. And it used to be that it was oil and gas companies calling me. And now it's power and utility and battery and wind and solar companies calling me and I know that space well and that's a huge issue we have to fix the grid we have to address climate change aggressively in the state and what I do for a living is solve complicated problems in an honest way in a way that's fair for all the parties involved that's precisely my ambition as it relates to state politics and we have a lot of problems and we have a lot of people hurting and a lot of it comes down to is policy in this state fair is it fair for everyone and uh, for example, as I run for lieutenant governor, the most powerful position in the state, um, I'm not going to take any money from the corporate PACs because we know that it is not fair. So often policy is not fair because we know who they work for. They meaning the lieutenant governor, and it's not us. And so if we have a lieutenant governor who's independent, who's focused on uh, fair and smart and wise policy and goes into communities and hears that people are suffering, and what can we do to help them? And where does state policy uh, take us in that regard? Whether it's education, whether it's healthcare, fix the grid, criminal justice reform, we could talk about all of these things. That's the Lieutenant Governor that I hope to be. And Texans seem to be responding to me. I ran against Dan Patrick four years ago and almost beat him. And now we're gonna beat him this time. I, I think you will. You know, it's interesting because that's what I've always admired about you. And that is that you are, you are able to listen to everybody no matter what 
what part of the spectrum politically they stand up because you realize one of the important things and that is we're all Texans, we're all Americans and therefore everybody needs to be listened to. So what I want to, the, the way I want to start this is I want to first ask you, when you become Lieutenant Governor, what is the first thing that you're going to do? You know, you, you, you gave a litany of things that you wanted, uh, that, 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 that's a problem in Texas. Where are we going to start? Yeah, so in a broad sense, the power of the lieutenant governor is to set the agenda. And the Senate works on whatever the lieutenant governor says we need to work on. And all you have to do is look at what the last lieutenant governor, Dan Patrick, the guy on his way out. Look what he did. One of his agenda items was to cancel a woman's right to choose. Right? He set that agenda and he achieved it through a very unconstitutional law with vigilante. And it's wrong. So this lieutenant governor is going to set the agenda that I'm going to set is to reverse those policies that are bad policies, reverse the policies as to a woman's right to choose, because I believe a woman does have a right to choose. Texans agree with me on this. Lieutenant governor is going to say, make it so that people can, in fact, vote, make it easy for people to vote, participate in democracy, um, set the agenda so that we fix the damn grid, set the agenda so that we deal honestly with criminal justice reform set the agenda so that we're working on uh, legalizing marijuana, which I think would be very good and very important for the state. So th there's one thing you do, which is to set the agenda that is pro-Texan. And then a lot of other things fall underneath that. And we do have to accomplish quite a lot. It's a big and complicated state. And we've been under the thumb of a zealous regime who have done a lot of really bad things to us policy-wise. And we have to reverse those. Now, interestingly, um, many of our Republican brothers and sisters, and I really differentiate between our Republican brothers and sisters, the voters versus the politicians, because the voters, voters, Democrats, Republicans, independents, they're all good people. What we have to concentrate on is what the politicians have done to us in our rural areas, Yoakum, Texas, all these other parts of Texas that we can talk about. We have started to see, or not started, we've been seeing uh, hospitals close, all these major issues with healthcare. Even though Texas has not thousands, not millions, but billions of dollars sitting on the table that we can use to make Texans healthy. What are you going to do about that? Well, if you start with the, with the fundamental proposition that healthcare is a basic human right, then we're in a very rich nation, a very rich state within a very rich nation. We certainly can afford it. Healthcare is a basic human right. Do we or do we not as Texans agree with that? I believe that we do, Egberto. And you mentioned drawing a distinction between Republicans as our neighbors and the politicians. I do believe that the majority of Texans believe it's a fundamental human right. So then the debate, therefore, is only what's the most effective and fair way to achieve access to everybody to healthcare. That's where the debate should be. Now, there's a couple of steps that we need to take in the state right away. There's a low-hanging fruit, expanding Medicaid. It's right there for the, for the reach. 38 other states have done it. There's no reason why Texas shouldn't. It's ready to go. It's a simple up or down vote in the Senate. It's the work of 15 minutes. If we had a lieutenant governor that said, we're going to vote on this thing, the vote would be yes. Even Republicans, I believe, would vote for yes because the vast majority of Texans believe that to be the case. That will help with hospitals closing. Then the next step is let's make sure that we deal with hospitals closing. 
Let's make sure that we have broadband so that you have telemedicine projected into places where you don't have a specialist, but you need specialist care. Then let's pivot and let's talk about the cost of healthcare because there's an awful lot of middlemen that aren't, they aren't making people healthier. They aren't inventing new drugs, but they're making themselves quite rich. So let's smoke that out so that our money is done efficiently and so people can afford healthcare. Those are the steps that we need to be taking and Texans support that, including Republicans. It is not partisan, it's just good sense. There are reasons why the, the partisan politicians won't go anywhere near that. And this is the thesis of my campaign and my aspiration in politics is the Republicans have a very, very small base that they pander to, mm -hmm. to win their primary and then to win their general. What percentage of Texans is that base? It's small, Egberto. Maybe 15% of Texans, they are the ones that are driving policy. The rest, the other 85% of us, look at that policy and say, what are you guys thinking? And when we release ourselves from the grip of that 15% by having real political competition, then all of a sudden the majority of Texans are saying, look, what you're doing is not smart. Let's be smart and let's live our values. Now, um, I have been concerned for some time here in Texas in that I, I see, a, a, and I don't know, I, I don't want to point fingers, let's say at the party or anything of that nature, but I feel like we are not grabbing, I see you doing it, but I don't see a lot of folks grabbing the bull by the horns and putting it out there, just like you've articulated about healthcare, just like you've articulated about the grid, just like you've articulated about the justice system. You're coming out and saying, this is what I want to do. You're giving an assertive message. I have too often watching the debates around the state, seeing people taking a defensive posture when they really should be on the offensive. We want to do what's right by Texans. Your thoughts? Well, well, I certainly agree with you. And I would say one of the problems of getting elected statewide as a Texas Democrat is that we have no cumulative knowledge and experience of winning because it's been 30 years. Right. So each candidate basically is starting with a clean piece of paper and figuring it out as he or she goes. And they go to a different place. It just so happens that that's the fabric that I'm made of. You know, in my right. life, in my professional life, if you go into a board of directors and say, you know, you fellows have a problem, you better you better tell them what you think the solution is. Otherwise, they'll laugh you out of the room. So it just happens to be in my nature to campaign this way. And it just happens to be working. And if I just happen to win, then I think you'll see that it offer up for many, many other candidates, any one of whom can do this is this is the prescription for success in the state. Now, I'm not smart enough to have designed this. I'm just being myself. You know, the authentic Mike is all about solving problems and attacking these guys. We will define this race. This race will not be defined for me. I'm not going to play defense. Uh, they're in charge, and they're the ones that are screwing up. I'm going to hit them. I'm going to hit them where they're hurting people. And um, I do believe I'm going to win, Egberto. And, of course, I have a lot of work to do. But when I do, then you'll see other statewide candidates say, okay, here's a formula. Here's a formula that works. Once we have a formula, once we have cumulative knowledge and experience, you'll see, you'll see Democrats campaigning that way. Well, you see, state or local. and that is important because they've destroyed the grid. They've destroyed the healthcare system for uh, for all but those who have a lot of money. They have uh, right now. There is a 
an increase in crime. I, I, I will not call it a crime wave because if you look at the numbers, that's not what the numbers tell you, but there is an increase in crime. And what I find is uh, that what we should do is give, explain what the genesis of crime is and how you're going to solve it because you know what the genesis is as opposed to saying, I am going to just lock people up. And I think that's what I, I've been hearing from you. So talk a little bit about that. Well, there's a, there's a crime. There is crime. It's higher than it was. It's a concerning trend. I think everybody ought to be focused like a laser beam on this because people in their communities, they want to feel safe in their communities. And there's so many elements to it. Where does the state get involved? One thing the state can do is deal with jobs and poverty. Right. Jobs and poverty and infrastructure. And so that's a very important education. I mean, the state has to do its job to make sure that young, as infants, have a place to go to learn and get a taste of learning and feel safe and build relationships with teachers. Pre-K is so important. Education is a big, big, big part of this. Then there's good paying jobs in communities where you have a lot of people that need good paying jobs and they don't feel like they've got um, economic upside and, and economic security. So we need to take steps so that we're investing proactively. There's a lot of money that can be made in communities that are being overlooked. So the point is that you can invest, it can be profitable, profitable not only for the investors, but profitable for the workers and their families. Then what follows that is transportation, what follows that is infrastructure. And so there's an awful lot that the state can do. Those things all factor into crime. What the state, the state doesn't do is individual police force work. However, the state contributes a, a lot, or shall I say the state can or can't, depending on their political will, be a good partner to local government. Now, I'm very, very critical of Dan Patrick and the state government because we are not good partners with our local city and county officials. They have declared war on counties. They have declared war on cities. Our city leaders are trying to keep our streets safe. Our county leaders are trying to keep our streets safe. They're trying to do it in a way that builds trust in communities, which is hard. Why isn't the state helping them? Why is the state not getting behind them and helping them and supporting them financially and with policies that make sense locally? I trust our local leaders and the state is not a good partner in these things. So there's an awful lot that the state can do. And there's an awful lot that Dan Patrick knows won't do and aren't do. And then finally, you know, they take, they take actions that, Law enforcement say, don't do it. And there's plenty of examples that I can think of, but the one that comes immediately to mind is canceling permit to carry. But you had law enforcement on the steps of the Capitol saying to Dan Patrick, don't do this. We have a problem on our hands. You're throwing gasoline on a fire because you're pandering to that 15%. So uh, a lot of it has to do with mindset. The Lieutenant Governor and the state that understands there's a crime problem spends the time recognizing what really drives that, partnering effectively with local government, doing its job. That's what we need. That's what our top leaders don't do. That is excellent. It is amazing because we've spoken a whole lot thus far about what you intend to do, uh, the topics that you're going to cover as Lieutenant Governor, which I think is very important. And th the only time Dan Patrick's name comes up is when, well, you know, I mean, he should have done X, Y, Z, which he didn't. I mean, uh, it's amazing how one of his major issues now is to take tenure away from professors. And you've made a statement to the Dallas, uh, to the Dallas News as well as to um, the Tri Texas Tribune. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? 
Yeah, well, so the background is, you know, Dan Patrick uh, is not a free speech lieutenant governor. He wants to dictate terms as to what could be taught in the classroom. I am very, very much against that, particularly as it relates to history. We have a lot to be proud of in this country. We should celebrate our success. We've made a lot of mistakes in this country. We should learn from them. We should teach history honestly, comprehensively, respectfully, but thoroughly. Dan Patrick is off on some tear that's inconsistent with freedom of speech, and he's creating a war, and he, he created war in our public schools, and now he's creating war in our great universities. The professors wisely pushed back, and so he said, all right, we're going we're gonna to cancel tenure. Tenure's not perfect. Tenure can be improved. We all understand that we have issues related to universities and tenure, but you don't just cancel it because we will have a brain drain from our great universities like the state has never seen. The best and the brightest will leave our state. It'll have a tremendous impact on our great universities. It will therefore have a derivative impact on industries that thrive on the relationship between their industry and our universities. It'll be a devastating impact on our state. And the fact that Dan Patrick would actually advance that out of personal peak is not rational at all. The reason I wanted to ask that as one of my last questions is because exactly that. There are, whenever you make decisions, these decisions can have impacts that way exceed the narrative, way exceed that little pet peeve that you're talking about. Well, the last question I always ask everybody, um, Mike, is tell me something that you wish I had asked you that I didn't. Okay, well, you, yes. Um, you didn't ask about public education mm -hmm. because we have so many other things that are on our minds. And as you know, Egberto, because we've known each other for a long time, my decision to run in the first instance many years ago was to be the undisputed champion for public education because that's where the students are. And we've got some schools that are very, very successful and we've got some schools that need our help. And we know that there's racial bias in this. You didn't ask about education because we have so many other things that, to distract us. But I know when I get on the stump, I start there because I am uh, not a glib and transient politician looking for way. I, I am devoted to education. If we don't get education right, we're not going to get anything right. And we have a moral obligation to every single little boy and girl, regardless of the community they're born in, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of their race, their religion. We have an obligation to every little boy and girl in this state to give them a shot at success in it, and to be good citizens, and it starts with education. Mike Collier, Lieutenant, the next Lieutenant Governor of Texas. Thank you. In fact, thank you so kindly for bringing up education, which I should have asked. But you know what? That proves that you will do the job because whether we remember to ask it or not, whether we, we know that it's needed or not, you're right there. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics and Right. As always, Egberto, great to see you. Thank you. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please 
join.